Welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. As you may have noted by me not being interrupted, that means Catherine Rubino is not with us. Apparently she ended up too scared by my use of sound effects. Uh, But but the show must go on. So Chris has, you know, decided he could overcome my control of the soundboard and has joined us again. Hey. I mean, I will will admit, admit, I'm very hesitant. I'm worried. Okay. I mean, that's fair. I, I, I understand everyone's fear. Anyway, uh, yeah, but we're from Above the Law, and this is your weekly roundup of legal stories from Above the Law. And uh, yeah, so we begin, as per usual, with small talk. Yeah, where we just kind of introduce the show. Hey, how are you? I'm pretty good. Um, good, good. Feeling amazing, actually. Oh, so. I mean, the, the small talk is actually big talk for those who are aware of what this means. Over the weekend, I got 91 room crafting. Okay. Yes, that means double natures. And I know you may be thinking, Chris, you know, who makes double natures? You know, especially, you know, when you can just go kill like Vorkath for money, right? Listen, you can still make double natures uh, when you're doing Guardians of the Rift. So for the niche audience that knows what that means... They're very appreciative of what I did. For everyone else, you'll be all right. You'll be addressed at some point later in the podcast. Yes, I think that's fair. So, yeah, no, uh, I have, uh, you know, it's been a rough up and down week. But ultimately, I think, you know, I got bad news. I got good news. Then I got bizarre news. Uh, And the bizarre news, I think, is going to be a subject of our real conversation. So I'll kind of save that. But, uh, Could you give like any context as to what you said? Because all of that was like when the adults talk on Charlie on um oh yeah what's the thing the you know Charlie you're, Brown. you're old there it is yes yeah you gave no details whatsoever about your well, last week well right because because the bizarre turn is going to be the subject of the actual no no show. let me let me clarify what you said was some stuff happened. Some stuff happened and right. some weird stuff happened. And we'll talk about that later. Exactly. You didn't give any context about the normal stuff that also happened. Right. I mean, I didn't think people wanted to know that my cat died. It's small talk, but also, damn, Joe. I'm, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah, yeah. no. Um, unfortunately, she she is, she was almost 14. So it kind of uh, made, you know, was around that time. But yeah, no, yeah. it was uh, it was bad. That's that's family. Family mm-hmm. losses are rough. I mean, yeah, no, and her her sister's a little confused down there, but uh, yeah. Anyway, down there being because the cats are in the basement, not because the sister is dead. For those oh, right, who right, aren't right, familiar, right, right. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> the, the, their food yeah. and water is downstairs, so they tend to hang out by that. So, anyway, yeah, no, very. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a week. Anyway, mm-hmm. the we'll 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 now transition, I guess, out of small talk into the other the other side of the emotional roller coaster with our oh now that that officially means we've ended small talk so let's uh let's discuss what happened as some of you know the federalist society is an organization which bills itself as a nonpartisan debating society uh that billing is wait somewhat, that's what they do i thought they were just like chick-fil-a sponsors 
that is what I think a lot more of us think happened, uh, happens with the organization. It was founded, uh, this is its 40th birthday, and they just had their national convention where they gather together all of their completely nonpartisan membership to discuss, you know, what they discuss. Uh, that is of some dispute. They soft say fascism. They, cough, cough. Well, yes. Now, as I call them, fash soft or fash socked. <laughs> yeah, fash sock. Yeah, no, you got me with the soft part in there. But fash sock it did get together to have their conversation and to revel in how they've legalized an individual right to have guns that never existed in this country until 14 years ago and how they got rid of the, you know, the Ninth Amendment penumbra uh, that has justified abortion and basically the right to privacy and contraception for you know, almost 50 years. They got Shouts rid of that. Shouts out to the too. NRA, by the way. Great yeah. job. Yeah, no. Um, there, that yeah. Is, I, know, I know there's like all this talk about like the liberal agenda, but when you want to talk about like propagandizing, the right is doing a phenomenal job of marketing ideas as common sense. Well, the gun, the gun thing's an excellent example. Uh, and, you know, we, it's become almost cliche at this point to point it out, but Warren Berger, the former chief justice, a very hard right jurist, he has this famous video clip in the 90s where he's explaining that obviously no one no one who's a actual legal mind seriously believes that there's an individual right to guns and he goes through it and explains it and yeah it's it's been basically memory hold that even the right wing thought this was a kooky theory until about two decades ago uh, but now everyone just kind of acts like that's what the second amendment means despite 200 years of everyone agreeing that that was not what those words meant. But good point. Anyway, so the Fed, Federalist Society is a organization of conservative, it's basically the front of the conservative legal movement. It calls itself nonpartisan to avoid the sort of tax implications of being a partisan organization, but we all know what it really is. Uh, that said, they are committed to the bit of explaining that there's no way that they really are just a vetting organization to streamline the promotion of future right-wingers. And in their opening remarks for their, their little show last week, they decided to bring out 11th Circuit Judge William Pryor, who decided to, you know, talk a little bit about... All of the people who think that the Federalist Society is something else. And he said stuff like, well, you know, let's just go to some clips. Now, if you're new to the Federalist Society or find its mission statement obscure, worry not. One of the great journalists of our time had a venerable institution for investigative journalism. I speak, of course, of Joe Patrice at Above the Law. <laughs> so at least I got a laugh, I suppose. Oh, damn. Yeah, it was great. I really enjoy when federal judges breach probably the, the code of ethics to call me out to their uh, their simpering gathering of fans. So that's awesome. But yeah, let's uh, we'll keep going here with uh, the rest of his sterling, you know, his his sterling insight about what I said has distilled the work of the society into three steps. Three steps. First, lay the pseudo-academic table for the MAGA movement. You heard that right. 
the pseudo-academic pseudo table for the MAGA movement, whatever that means. Okay. It wasn't vague. Is this, is this guy, yeah, is this guy just like deliberately stupid? You think a person involved with legal interpretation will be able to understand what lay the foundation for the MAGA movement means? <laughs> I mean, I'll be, this is just kind of what the whole, what the whole speech was. And we weren't, you know, obviously he yeah. also goes after Ellie <laughs> and Dalla what, What's the, what's the second point? The second point, maintain the systems with which we ignore how <laughs> white supremacy impacts the legal system. It, it doesn't say that, but, but we do, we, we will move on to number two if we're ready. Second, recruit students to indulge their trollish impulses while placing them on greased rails to the federal bench. Apple Trap House at Yale. Yes. Hold on. We got more. Sounds painful. <laughs> okay. Also, conservatives have bad sex. Greece usually. Never mind. No. And no, I mean, yeah, no, no comment about Judge Pryor there. Uh, but yeah, no, um, that wasn't exactly my most lyrical prose. I realized, like, I mean that. That was a diff that was difficult copy to read. Actually, I guess it's a it's got a little bit more to it. And then we get to the third one. And third, now most of all, this most important of all, this is key. Quote Serve Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah. There's no question uh, there. As I pointed out, uh, in my actual piece, had he actually quoted all of it, uh, I do make some I do make some points about how that is those are all three political statements, but, but yeah, this. Oh, oh and it, by the way, I feel like, I feel like one of the undercurrent and you may not have meant this. Well, no, mm. I'm assuming you meant this. He may not have gotten it because clearly after the first point, there's a clear a skill issue when it comes to reading support Chick-fil-A probably has implications that are supporting homophobia and like conversion oh, yeah. therapy and shit like oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like one, like as a person, I like to craft jokes in my spare time. That's some stolen valor. You are clearly making a joke. He delivered it as if it was his idea. That's some Carlos Mencia type shit. Well, no, and and if you heard that, I got the biggest laugh for that line of this whole like bad comedy routine. Like yeah. I deserve royalties for this speech. Yeah. Anyway, what's uh, the deal with above the law type energy? It, well, and it's not just us. There are slate attacks and stuff like that. But don't worry, the uh, the above the law attacks continue. Uh, with this. For the students in attendance dreaming of becoming judges, in the past I would have advised you to study hard, get good grades, become an editor of the law review, get a clerkship to start your career, practice at a law firm, and perform public service. But Catherine Rubino at Above the Law tells us that thanks to this society, quote, ideological purity and pursuit of a far-right agenda is the single most important bona fide for conservative nominees and no less an authority. No, we'll, we'll stop there. No, no, uh, the, these people tried to nominate a ghost hunter. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to put a ghost hunter on the bench and then they did put an wait, associate on the bench. Wait, can we, can we, for, for those who aren't in the know, and by that I mean me, what do you mean by ghost hunter? They tried to put an amateur ghost hunter on the bench federal bench and is and this like were, a metaphor for like the ghosts that haunt us it is not this none of this is <laughs> you're a talking metaphor. about textualism right no this is straight up a guy whose <laughs> only seeming qualification was that he wrote online about how he can find ghosts uh like he was what he was a ghost hunter uh he 
you know, however, also is a Federalist Society member and all. And they tried to give him a federal seat. And it was going through the system until eventually Mark Joseph Stern and I made so much noise about this that even Republicans on the Judiciary Committee had to go, okay, we can't do this. And that was the only reason that didn't happen. I would say this is surprising, but like the whole their whole like interpretive movement is like using a Ouija board to dick ride what the founding fathers would have interpreted a law to mean. So, I mean, yeah, it does. So so Ghost Hunter probably would have done better anyway. And then they put uh, a woman who was a was a clerk only two years ago or uh, only a year ahead before putting her on. Yeah. Like all of it's. It's ridiculous, and this is a theme of this whole speech, quoting us as well as some other legal commentators for saying stuff that is fairly damning about the society, and then shrugging and moving on. Like, no attempt to respond to any of this or suggest it's not true, because obviously it all is. But yeah, no, there's one more attack on Above the Law. Let's uh, see what happens with, let's see if he comes up with anything more you know, remotely intellectually captivating here. Ms. Rubino at Above the Law explains that recent decisions by the Supreme Court on abortion, the Establishment Clause, the Second Amendment, and the administrative state have created a, quote, hellscape that can be laid directly on the doorstop of FedSoc. So, if you're a judge, this convention offers you a unique educational opportunity to get ahead of the curve and to start work on the sequel, Hellscape 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, what kind of, funny. What kind of evil-ass <laughs> dark force laugh was that? <laughs> like, like who, who laughs at the joy of a hellscape except the people who are the devil's prodding everyone else? Like, this is, it writes itself. You know, I mean, I... I did get the 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 best laugh, so I I happy with my role in this. But you know, Catherine got mentioned twice, obviously because Judge Pryor really has a burr in his saddle about Catherine, as Catherine has been, uh, as we the regular readers know, has been very on top of how Judge Pryor is, of course, the person who decided to hire the I hate black people clerk, uh, the Crystal Clanton, who was on was fired from Turning Point, a right wing organization for making comments about how she hates all black people. And, you know, Pryor has given her a, you know, a circuit clerkship. So and Catherine's been covering that. So obviously, Pryor has some hard feelings about Catherine. But and also, yeah. this isn't surprising because and I repeat, this is not an ad hom. It is documented. You can look it up. FedSoc doesn't like women. And I say that no. because according to FedSoc members who were women, they quit the group because there was all sorts of talk about how they were discriminated against. Right. I feel like you have to do. Well, I see. That's the problem. When you're not in a position of power, you can do things besides laugh when somebody brings up legitimate claims about how you're wrong. Yeah. I I, I mean, it was it was really indicative of the whole movement. Uh, that it's just repeat statement that is objectively true. Yeah. Shrug and laugh and move on. There's no effort to respond to any of this. I really do think it is indicative of a greater thing of a greater thing. Because, like, for mm-hmm. example, Dylan Roof, uh, before he shot up uh, a black church, he had a whole manifesto about uh, involving things like, uh, you know, the white extinction conspiracy, what have you. 
And then not to like, a, like, a, not like maybe like a year or two later, there was a Republican National Congress that had the we are we are all domestic terrorists thing. Yeah. CPAC, I believe. Yeah. CPAC. There's a clear yeah. association of white Christian nationalism, domestic terrorism, right wing groups. But they're like, you, but just, just just saying it is like a thing they can like laugh off as a joke. Like, I, and, I, and I really yeah. do think that it is something indicative of challenging the notion that speaking truth to power still has some strength to it. Because like a lot of people are like, oh, we have to spread information. We have to, you know, point at the people in authority and tell them what they're doing is wrong. Show that we're not being hoodwinked anymore. They'll just say it. They just say it now and laugh. And I'm not yeah. sure that I'm not sure that people who's uh, who are trying to like, think about ways to hold people accountable are factoring in that speaking truth loses its force when they tell you the truth. <laughs> like, like, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you hold them accountable as terrorists when they're like, yeah, we're all domestic terrorists. And it's clearly yeah. a white Christian thing. Cause like, imagine if, imagine if Muslims had something like that, it would yeah. be crazy. They, they wouldn't, the response would not have been tongue in cheek. Mm. You know, obviously the difference of course, is that the Federalist Society is a nonpartisan debating society. Generate quality briefs, memos, and redlines in minutes with Calidus AI. You enter the case's facts, then Calidus suggests bodies of law, statutes, and precedents. You tell it if those are relevant, and Calidus generates a well-cited, well-formatted document. You can trust what went into it because you put it there. Be exceptionally productive with better outcomes using Legal's most advanced AI platform. Just three minutes from registration to results. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code JOE at calidusai.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law, He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. All right, well, let's talk about the next shoe that fell. So after Judge Pryor gives this speech where he jokes around about how crazy we all are for suggesting that this is a right-wing ideological organization as opposed to a perfectly innocent nonpartisan group, uh, what happens to the founder of Federalist Society? Oh, he gets ousted for, you know, I mean, it's, well, it's, hard to, it's, it's hard to come up with something clever. He gets ousted for daring to say that racism is a thing. Clar clarify the record. He does not get ousted. So founder and Fair. current co-chair of the board, of mm -hmm. the Federalist Society, Stephen Calabresi, mm -hmm. is uh, son Guido Calabresi. Like he does not uh, get ousted. But what he what we do learn is that he is informed by the board that he is not allowed to tell people that he is either the founder or a co-chair of the board. He is basically disappeared in a very Stalinist sort of way uh, mm -hmm. from his roles in the organization. He can still have them, but he's not allowed to tell people about this. And what he did is inform 
because he's clever, uh, what he did is inform Nina Totenberg that he was not allowed to call himself those things. Uh, he did not say that he was those things. He just said, I have been informed by the board that they have voted that I'm no longer allowed to call myself the founder or co-chair, despite the fact that those are real facts. But go on. Yeah, I just want to clarify, he's not ousted. He is marginalized. Uh, he has... He has sinned against the Politburo, and he is therefore persona non grata. That is fair. He's not ousted. He's in a position where maybe he'll have to like, I don't know, what will be the what will be the Fed sock equivalent of saying Hail Marys, like funding right, right, right. funding Chick Fil A at the next <laughs> um, Why Hate Speech is actually good lecture at Yale. Eat thirty chicken biscuits. Yeah. He clearly did a boo boo by saying things that could be found in. You know, a textbook for now until like, you know, laws make it illegal to put them in textbooks. So what happened here to give the full context is the Yale Daily News had written an article talking about how the Federalist Society's donors, a fairly shadowy group of folks, Federalist Society donors, to the extent people can work out who they are, were had a tremendous overlap. Surprise, surprise, with the people trying to who've launched the case that will inevitably result in the Supreme Court striking down affirmative action. This prompted... By the way, yeah, moment of silence for white women who will be the largest demographic impacted by the overturning of affirmative action. Just yeah. moment of silence for them. Okay, go. Thoughts and prayers. So anyway, uh, what, this, this story comes out. Calabresi, who is a professor at Northwestern, he responds by criticizing Yale Daily News for claiming that the Federalist Society is against affirmative action, which is not what they did. They say that they have the same the, – their donors all travel in the same circles, which is the sort of thing that happens when your organization is not actually a nonpartisan debating society but a right-wing think tank. Anyway – he says this, and then in an effort to do what Pryor failed to do, uh, in an effort to show how truly nonpartisan and a big tent the Federalist Society is, Calabresi notes in his comments that he, in fact, is a strong supporter of affirmative action personally, and both in employment and in faculty appointments. He talks about how he has supported the tenure grant to law professors who teach critical race theory because he thinks that's important to be taught. And he says that he personally supports reparations for slavery and segregation. These are, these are comments he said, and the, I, we're not saying that those are connected, but what we are saying is as soon as he says that, he is informed by a vote of the committee that he is no longer allowed to call himself co-chair or founder. And what was the second point that the lecturer gave about that? Oh, 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 well, my second point, the Grease Trails one or what? Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. so what was the second yeah. point again? That, that it's just a vetting organization to find law students that they can, whose careers they can hype uh, in a streamline to the bench. Oh, damn. Anyway. Maybe I got it wrong. I, I thought there was okay. one point where it was like you were forcing like ideological conformity and i was gonna oh, say yeah. like and i was going to say oh, that yeah. them ousting a founder is a clear example of the thing you were describing you know i mean look the the revolution eats its children right and in this case it ate its founder i guess they ran out of chicken sandwiches oh yeah <laughs> so yeah so that that happened uh there's well, let's do one more uh, tidbit from that before we move to sadder news. So before we do that, though, let's talk. Uh, Paul Clement showed up. 
former solicitor general. Uh, he had um, he had some some complaints. Yeah. So and of course, it was it was a the word that the right is using now instead of, you know, saying what they mean and meaning what they say. They just call everything woke, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the new Little Mermaid is woke. Uh, Lizzo playing a flute is woke. I don't know. Affirmative action is woke. Joe Pesci is probably woke at this point. But there was a there was some conversation. And he was like, oh, yeah, the law firms are too woke now because they won't let people, you know, defend gun companies. And because law firms are taking on clients that are too woke. And I'm reading this. I'm like, aren't these like the, the free market people? Like, what's the fault in a company? Uh, adopting to the demand and the interests of its customer base. <laughs> like what happened? What happened to free choice? You know? Yeah. So when, so this all ties back to Paul Clement uh, represented the folks who made sure that school shootings are never going to be stopped uh, pursuing the Bruin case to the Supreme court where he won. Uh, and which point uh, Kirkland Nellis said, let's, uh, not be associated with you anymore. Uh, this prompted him to found his own boutique, but also write this op-ed where he complained about how law firms have it in for him. Uh, and he's carried that on to the Federalist Society meeting, whereas Chris was describing, he continues to complain about how law firms are woke and all, as opposed to, you know, basically capitalist. Because part of the reason they fire people like this or pressure that point out to them that they do not have a future there, I think is probably more accurate is because like you said, they, they have other clients who have, you know, interests and those other clients interests tend to be, they don't want to be associated with folks who make it easier for children to get murdered. That was certainly Kirkland's take. That was the take of Clement's previous firm who originally pushed him out after he was aggressively trying to make sure gay marriage never gets legalized. They just don't want this around because it hurts their reputation with other clients and it doesn't generate a ton of money. Like, look, he, (laughs) he bills, he bills a lot, right? Like he has a high billable rate because he is admittedly a, you know, former solicitor general and one of the more talented and routine practitioners in front of the Supreme court. But like, that business, even though like the individual hour might be a lot, is not a ton of money. I mean, look, I, I, like I've spoken with a bunch of Supreme Court litigators over the years, and yeah, they do well, but like compare them to an M and A partner, like it's no contest. Like you got M and A partners bringing in forty, fifty million dollar books. Uh, uh, this isn't what these guys are bringing in. In particular, Supreme Court cases always exist as prestige cases, basically, because most of the time, like occasionally a major corporation ends up there, but a lot of the time you're representing, you know, somebody probably pro bono. And it's, it's for the principle. It's to say, hey, our firm was at the Supreme Court. It's not so much billable all the time. Mm-hmm. And to that extent, why take a reputational hit that's hurting you with the partners who are actually bringing in 20, 30 million a pop? So that you can dick around doing pro bono work and bring in maybe a couple mil. Like, there's no logic to it. And that's why they don't work there anymore. 
Uh, but don't worry. Yeah, like as you said, the Federalist Society was very eager at this meeting to complain on Clement's behalf. Like, do we want to live in a world where big law firms care more about that than being in front of the Supreme Court? And it's like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Like, and because it's just dollar dollar bills. Y'all. And my, <laughs> and my thing is, it's like, and this is one of those things where it's, I factored in the why are the people that complaining constantly about censorship, why are they not shutting up yet? It was one of those things where you were saying like, oh, you know, these firms are are too woke and they're not allowing us, you know, do our profession. And then some dude was like, yeah, well, you know, I think they're too woke, too. And he was like, come work for me. It's like the people who are being affected are in a position where they can just hire people at whim. Like these aren't ostracized, woe is me professionals who are just scrounging for a buck. Yeah. It's like it's it's literally the the guy, <laughs> like like the guy who has all the rank and authority, complaining that he can't openly, you know, bash gay people and say, yeah, what about gun murderer people? They they're great too. Like tough shit. Yeah, it's a it's it's all a performative public relations stunt functionally, and and you know it's sad that you know the the Supreme Court opinions, which guide the way our whole world operates, are functionally publicity stunts but i mean that's that's in a lot of ways what it is and i don't mean to demean it but as far as a law firm's well okay but as far as a law firm's perspective yeah and that's why you see some of the more successful supreme court operations are boutiques that concentrate on that work uh and they are very successful at what they do but the reason it doesn't fit or rarely fits obviously some folks like neil katyal is at hogan levels so that you know obviously that works but many of these places aren't able to make a supreme court practice necessarily work outside of being a publicity factor like jones day etc is because deep down the money isn't there and if you want a law firm to maximize profit which theoretically is what it's there to do then yeah like if the cases that you are taking on aren't helping you get that business, and with Jones Day, maybe it is. Jones Day pursuing their, hey, we think that the uh, everybody who voted in Philadelphia shouldn't count case, which is one that they pursued during the last election, that might help them get uh, corporate clients because that's the kind of clientele they like to go for. But Kirkland, Kirkland is more button up and they don't like when their big cl- big banking clients come back and say, eh, this skeeves us out. But anyway. I'm just interested in seeing how uh, the Twitter debacle is going to uh, fall out in the law firm area because with Elon fucking shit up for advertisers, oh, I, wonder, I wonder how that'll play out in courts. Well, let's take a break and then get to that. All right. Well, we're back. I, I do want to like follow up on that just real quick. Like, there is a there is a law school hypo that is going to be written about the <laughs> fake Eli Lilly account that said insulin's free and therefore crashed Eli Lilly's stock price. That seems like something somebody is gonna make a case out of that. Uh, but let's talk about tech and law because we are having some layoffs. Layoffs. Don't talk about layoffs. You kidding me? Layoffs? 
and with the layoffs, uh, we now have more. We I know we've been talking about stealth layoffs, but you know we have more coming from Gunderson. Uh, we've got Cooley and, and Kirkland, as we talked about. Uh, different issues involved in those. Like I think Kirkland might have just overhired. We've, we're hearing of a Magic Circle firm that's not confirmed, but uh, that has is also suffering from maybe overhiring during times that are good. But the Gunderson Cooley group seems to be tracking the tech world. You know, I mean, well, these are big valley firms with a lot of tech-oriented business. Uh, the fact that they are suffering layoffs seems to be following the fact that, you know, you've got Facebook taking a dive, laying people off. You've got Elon doing whatever the hell he's doing there. You have crypto deciding to out itself as a basically a Ponzi scheme. These are not good for firms that thrive in that kind of tech market, because even if they aren't representing those people, they're representing funds that have business there. I think, like we, we talked about this on a previous show, but like whether or not this can stay cabined is going to be a, a real thing. And since we talked last time, we've gotten more reports uh, suggesting that maybe it isn't going to be cabined. By cabin, do you mean we'll spill over, will or not spill over into right. other sectors? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Whether mm -hmm. other firms are going to face this. It's mm -hmm. going to be an interesting bit here. Well, my thing is, I just, I just want to know what happens when a whole bunch of like venture capital bros, when their capital crashes, like how will that affect the legal yeah. market? Yeah. I mean, because like right now it's, it's, just, it's just tech. People associate crypto and Bitcoin with like tech, but you know, you know, people diversify their portfolios, you know, what's mm -hmm. next? real estate. It's going to be a thing. I, and like you would think real estate would start facing something because interest rates are COVID. clearly, well, interest rates are going up in a way that should be impacting mortgages, more, the ability of people to get mortgages. But yeah, so far, value seems to be holding. We'll see. Anyway, is that everything? You should be subscribed to the show so that you get new episodes when they come down. You should give reviews, stars, write something. You should listen to other shows that we're on. Catherine's on the Jabot, but she's not here, so whatever. Uh, you should listen to the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable, where I'm a panelist talking about legal tech. Uh, you should listen to the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. You should be reading above the law, because that's where we write all these things. Uh, and more. There's even more stories that we don't even get to. Uh, <gasps> you should... Yeah, no, it's true. It's so true. And you should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at Rights for Rent. And the blog is at ATL blog. You can get the stories dropped that way. Uh, and then I think with that, we are uh, completely done. Uh, thanks to sponsors. And uh, thank you to our it. sponsors. Thank you to our yeah. listeners. And thank you for our haters who give us very easy sound bites to make more content with. It is true. Thank you so much to the federal bench. All right. Talk to everybody later. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, 
lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.